Welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 728 for release on Sunday, February 5th, 2023. On WaveScan today... A very unusual radio wedding, and our Japan DX report. As our opening story here in Wayscan today, we present the story of a very unusual wedding that was broadcast live over a radio station in Tampa, Florida, in the United States, almost 100 years ago. Ray Robinson begins that story with the background information about the radio station itself. Thanks, Jeff. During the year 1920, the United States Navy constructed a new wireless communication station at St. Petersburg on the western side of the Florida Peninsula. That more than 100-year-old wireless station contained three transmitters, one at 12 kilowatts and two at 5 kilowatts, with the intent that voice transmitters for communication with airplanes would be installed subsequently. One of the young men who served at the St. Petersburg Wireless Station was Harold McClung, who continued his interest in the usage of radio and wireless. He procured the necessary electronic parts and assembled his own amateur radio station. However, soon afterwards, due to romantic possibilities and therefore the need for additional funding, he decided to sell his radio station equipment. Young McClung approached the University of Florida at Gainesville in north-central Florida and offered to sell them his radio equipment and set it up as a radio broadcasting station. However, they stated that they were unable to accept due to a lack of funding. And then in December 1921, McClung approached the Tampa Daily Times newspaper and offered to sell them his radio equipment and install it as a radio broadcasting station. The newspaper management finally accepted his offer, and they filed an application with the licensing authorities, the Department of Commerce in Washington, D.C. The initial facility for the new Tampa Radio Broadcasting Station was installed in the Florida Citrus Exchange Building on the southeast corner of the Zack and Tampa Streets intersection. That same building was subsequently used by Mass Brothers as a shopping center, though these days it's a commercially operated ground-level parking lot. In early 1922, radio equipment was installed in two small rooms on the sixth floor of the eight-floor Citrus Exchange building. One room as the simple studio with a microphone hanging on the wall, and another room for the transmitter. Two towers supporting the antenna system were installed on the roof of the building. The Tampa Times recruited two experienced radio personnel to operate the new station, W.R. MacDonald and G.C. Warner. Test broadcasts from the locally built transmitter with 250 watts on 833 kHz began in April 1922 with an informal programming format made up of announcements, sports scores and recorded music. 
The acknowledged date for the official opening of the new radio broadcasting station, WDAE, in Tampa, Florida, was Monday, May the 15th, 1922. And the programming, which began at 7pm, included a welcome speech from Mayor Charles H. Brown. Medium wave station WDAE claims fame as the first licensed radio broadcasting station that took to the air in Florida. This popular new radio station moved a few times before it was then installed in what was previously the first national bank on the corner of Franklin and Washington Streets at 114 North Franklin Street. That building was the first brick building constructed in Tampa, and it was taken over as the new headquarters for the Tampa Times newspaper in 1923. That building is also gone, and the location is now, in 2023, part of the commercial enterprise, the Tampa Central Project. Back in the mid-1920s, almost 100 years ago, radio station WDAE was on the air, along with many other radio stations in the United States, with the live broadcast of a local wedding. Let's now focus on two weddings that were conducted in Tampa back in 1924, an occasion when two sisters married a father and his son. Significant additional research for this item was provided by Wendy Heap, an education executive in Jacksonville, Florida, who sometimes submits her research findings with a lively sense of humour. <laughs> the first of these two weddings was celebrated in Tampa, Florida on Thursday evening, December the 4th, 1924. The bride was 30-year-old Miss Lila Fresh from Atlanta, and the groom was 46-year-old Mr. Louis Jacobs of Tampa. Their wedding was a typical Jewish wedding with ceremonies in both English and Hebrew. However, their wedding was not conducted on radio, but rather in a traditional location. But then, ten days later, on Sunday, December the 14th, 1924, the first bride's 23-year-old younger sister, Miss Gertrude Fresh, also of Atlanta, married 22-year-old Samuel Jacobs, also of Tampa, the son of the groom who was married ten days earlier. And this second wedding was conducted in the studios of the now two-year-old radio station WDAE in Tampa, Florida. In advance of the radio wedding, the young couple sent out more than 400 invitations to family, relatives and friends, inviting them all to hear the wedding broadcast live over radio station WDAE at 8.30pm on Sunday, December the 14th, 1924. The ceremony was conducted by the Rabbi Adolf Berger, with 40 specially invited guests in the studios of medium wave station WDAE in the Tampa Times newspaper building on North Franklin Street. The radio station and the bridal couple received several hundred congratulatory messages from grateful listeners far and wide. As a result of the two marriages, the two sisters also became sisters-in-law to each other, and the father and son became brothers-in-law to each other. In these intermixed relationships, the younger woman became a daughter-in-law to her own sister, and the younger man became a stepson to his new sister-in-law. <laughs> Are you confused yet? Try to work it out on your own. Well, we'll have more about station WDAE and its interesting radio weddings coming up soon. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. By the way, WDAE Radio is today on 620 AM and 95.3 FM and uses the slogan, Tampa Bay's Sports Radio. Talking to him at the team hotel, he is so locked in. That was 
you know, not, not quite 24 hours out, but he looked like he was ready to go coach a game right at that point. As they get ready to break the huddle, we pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is College Basketball on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. WDAE St. Petersburg, WBTP HD3 Clearwater, W224BE Brandon, and W237CW Pinellas Park. Mike Cousins, Bob Valvano, so glad you're with us. 2.56 to play at Allen Fieldhouse in regulation. TCU 79, Kansas 57. You're listening to WaveScan from Adventist World Radio. اهلا بكم الى هذه النشره من بي بي سي معكم احمد صابر والبدايه بالعناوين مقتل تسعه فلسطينيين على الاقل واصابه اخرين خلال اقتحام القوات الاسرائيليه مخيم جنين بالضفه الغربيه والسلطه الفلسطينيه تصف ما يجري بالمجزره Just Jacob alerted us that the BBC News Arabic service ceased broadcasting at 1300 UTC on January 27th The BBC says that selected radio programs will be found on their website bbc.com slash Arabic. BBC Arabic's plans, they say, are part of the BBC's Global Service Strategy, announced last year, which focuses on delivering digital content rather than radio broadcasts. Here's a report that was broadcast on the BBC's The World Tonight news program, the night the Arabic transmissions ended. It was, as one colleague put it, the end of an era, the last radio broadcast by BBC Arabic after 85 years on the air. Ona London BBC. Ona London. بين يناير كانون ثاني من العام 38 و 900000 Arabic Radio was the BBC's first foreign language service when it first started broadcasting uh, in January 1938. This is what it sounded like back then. You have just heard Big Ben sounding in the clock tower of the Houses of Parliament in Westminster. That sound is heard daily by listeners all over the world. It has now heralded the first Arabic news bulletin from London. Great stuff. Um, the service quickly became a, became a vital source of uh, reliable information for Arabic speakers across the Middle East and North Africa, especially during times of upheaval, of which there have been many, at the creation of Israel in 1948, the Suez Crisis, the Six-Day and Yom Kippur Wars in the 60s and 70s, the Iranian Revolution, wars and conflicts in Lebanon, Iraq and Syria. So why is it closing? Well, to save money and as part of the BBC's focus on digital content. Indeed, some of the output will still be available to listen to online. Well, joining me now is uh, Omar El Tayeb, editor and presenter from BBC Arabic, and uh, Baria Alamuddin, writer and Middle East commentator. Good evening to you both. Uh, Omar, I just wanted to ask you, for, first of all, uh, how are you feeling uh, today? Well, it, 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 it is a very sad day, uh, uh, every uh, one, uh, whether you have worked for the Arabic service radio for some time, or you've been listening to it, or you have been 
interviewed by it, whether you're a politician or a journalist or an activist, uh, everyone uh, uh, is sad in all directions, and many people have expressed that. There are fewer who have expressed that. They, 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 they love to see it go, but really? these are the minority. <laughs> right. Uh, what was the atmosphere in the newsroom like? Uh, pretty somber, I imagine. It was very, very sad to the point that uh, some of our colleagues couldn't uh, help but not uh, cry um, because it's so emotional. And those people, those colleagues who have worked for quite a while for them, it was really part of their life for for for, for decades. Let me. So let me it, it's yeah. Let, let, well, it's, well, I just quite on that, sad day. indeed. On that note, um, Badi Alamuddin, uh, I mean. What, what does it mean to you that it's closing? But, but more importantly, what did it mean to you when you were growing up? Yes, good evening to you, James and, and Omar, and to your listeners. Well, it meant a lot to me. I, I remember growing up and my father keeping us all quiet when the BBC news came around 2 o'clock at midday. Uh, it, it also means a lot to me as a journalist before and now. I've done lots of interviews on BBC Arabic uh, as well as, of course, BBC English. But BBC Arabic has a big value in the Arab world where you have hardly any independent journalism. And it was seen to be fair. It was seen to be impartial and quite dependable. Uh, is it, and, is and it where people why, got their information? More or less, uh, yes. Uh, I, I would say people, especially uh, over the age of 40, uh, the, the young generation uh, depends mostly on, on the Internet, etc. And, and a lot of them, unfortunately, are not interested in the news as uh, we were when we were growing up. But the BBC is also important for the journalism it had. It, it had trained lots of the journalists that you see working today in other media outlets around around the Middle East. Uh, also, uh, it, it had a, a very far reach. I remember every time I was doing an interview on BBC radio or TV, uh, many people would call and, and, and comment and suggest that they, they had seen it or heard it. It, it had also uh, th this, uh, you know, power of, of spreading, uh, I would say, some kind of human rights and democracy yeah. and the area and, and, and also governance. For me, also as a British Lebanese, it, it means to me that, that uh, the, the, the effectiveness of British foreign policy and the place of, of Britain in the world has but, yeah. diminished so greatly. So some soft power. Let, let me, let me, we're slightly limited for time, I'm afraid, but let me just ask this to, to Omar. I mean, did you get into trouble with the authorities given that, you know, uh, during the period it was broadcasting, many of the governments were, were, were very authoritarian? Um, yes, indeed. Uh, I, I myself come from Sudan and uh, my passport was taken from me when I went to the embassy here to renew it at one point. Um, so, yeah, the, the, yeah influential and, so yeah, and, and, and consequences. I'm afraid we're coming at, 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 to the end of the program. Uh, we could talk about this for, for much longer, but Omar Al-Tayyab uh, of BBC Arabic and Baria Alamuddin, uh, Middle East commentator, thank you both very much for joining us. That was The World Tonight from the BBC. 
We want to bring you now another installment in Jerry Plummer's talk from the 2022 NASB annual meeting in Washington. Jerry was the frequency manager of WWCR in Nashville, Tennessee, and the Caribbean Beacon in Anguilla before his untimely death last July. In this next-to-last segment of Jerry's talk, he takes up where he left off last time, which was when the Caribbean Beacon's 100-kilowatt shortwave transmitter was sold to WWCR, packed up in Anguilla, and shipped to the U.S. Our engineer was just all aghast when he saw the, the packaging. He said, I hope, I hope some of this works, you know. So we were, because again, because of the pandemic, didn't allow any of us to go down there whatsoever. So we were hoping against hope that some of the guys in Anguilla would package it. Not, uh, I don't think, though, outside of the Transformers, uh, I think almost everything is, is usable. So in, in that sense, the movement, after all this long story from uh, Dr. Scott in 1988, spending the money with Continental to finally making its way back to Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and Dr. Scott's, uh, they're still broadcasting, like using up uh, virtually one full transmitter for us. But they don't get to broadcast directly from the islands into uh, America. But again, the backside of our transmission going to Europe and, uh, and Africa, the backside of it will still can still be picked up pretty good uh, in America. So I, I guess in that sense, uh, it all come out one full circle. You know, it, uh, uh, it started off uh, with the WRNO thing in 1988, and it wound up with a government uh, disagreement in uh, 2022 or 2021 late that forced the uh, station to close. They did not want to close. You know, a lot of the shortwave broadcasters we've seen lately have closed arbitrarily, but she had already spent one. Well, the the uh, TCI transmitter is about three hundred thousand bucks. So, you guys got uh, got any questions for me over the saga of twenty years of uh, uh, a transmitter making its way back to America from its overseas destination? What do we do with it? Yeah, uh, we we could have we could have made it a fifth transmitter. Uh, but we elected to save it for parts because parts have got so hard to get with Continental. So we just selected, to, we've literally filled up uh, a quarter of the office, what used to be just some miscellaneous uh, office area. We've turned that into a uh, large inventory room. So we've got inventory parts galore. And I guess I like the fact that I think it's extended the life of the company in the short way for several years. But that's what we elected to do. You could have put a fifth transmitter. But, you know, you think about, though, Ludo, where would we put one out there? You know, we'd have to build another building, I guess, because it's pretty full. we got four of them now kind of kissing each other, and uh, I have to be careful about what frequency we use because if we use two that's too close to each other, you got some major troubles out of that. My first year of doing uh, uh, frequency management, I learned the hard way not to put two stations' uh, frequencies too close together because they tend to not like it at all. And it cost about 12000 bucks to fix that mistake. So if you kind of wonder sometimes when you look at CR, why, why are some of these frequencies like they are? It's to take into effect the fact that we got all these transmitters together. You guys remember the name? It starts with an A. 
uh, where the BBC and, and Deutsche Welle had their shortwave broadcast. Antigua. Antigua. That's what it was, Antigua, which is one of those islands pretty close to there. I think those all got shipped back. Uh, Gerhard could tell us. Uh, he, I remember he had, had talked about it. There's still AMF in there, I understand. Antigua, yeah, versus Anguilla, right? Uh, the, they only called BBC because they, they, at that time, they were still building parts of Antigua, so they had engineers on hand, and they paid them to do a separate job. Uh, that's and they uh, they did a good job, and they thought also the fact that it's a BBC doing it would sway the government that it's legitimate, you know. But they are dead set. When I was there, they were dead set that uh, and the radiation was killing people left and right, regardless of what the facts were. And I guess part of the whole deal about them turning it down was it was within 60 days of a government election, so. The government that was in uh, in office was very hesitant to make this decision because then they could lose the election over that, over something that doesn't matter anyway, that didn't have an impact. And do you guys know that uh, MLK just came back on live about two weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's like another uh, new shortwave, so to speak, and it's a new, new transmitter, so yeah, it's and it sounds I've been able to pick it up pretty good, so I think that's another shortwave station that we've added to the collection that will stay for a while because that's new parts, and I expect them to stay. That was Jerry Plummer of WWCR in Tennessee speaking at the 2022 NESB annual meeting in Washington, D.C. Now to Yukiko Tsuji in Tokyo. Hello and welcome to the DX Report of the Month from Japan Showtime Club, aided by Toshi Otake and I'm Yuki Kotsuji. We have several DX reports from our club members this week. VOA via Philippines was heard on 11965 kHz on January 3rd, from 1158 with interval signal to the sign-off at 1230 UTC in English. SIO rating was 454. VOA News was broadcast at 1200, followed by U.S. pop music program. Radio Thailand World Service was heard on 9940 kHz on January 4th, from the sign-on at 1200 to 1231 UTC in English. National News was aired, followed by Global News at 1213. This program was interrupted at 1229, and then Vietnamese program started at 12.30. Radio Father via Udon Thani, Thailand, was received on 17530 kHz on January 9th from 08.40 to 0900 UTC in Persian. SIO rating was 353. Talk program and local song were on the air. ID was given at 08.30. Voice of the Matters via Tashkent, Uzbekistan, was heard on 7520 kHz on January 7th from 1545 to the sign-off at 1559 UTC in Korean. SIO rating was 433. Talk program and song were aired. BBC World Service via Oman was heard on 
9410 kilohertz on January 3rd, from the sign on at the 1300 to the sign off at the 1359 UTC in English. SIO rating was 353. World News was broadcast, followed by Newsroom at 1306, News at 1330, and Discovery at 1332. Adventist World Radio via Moosbrunn, Austria, was received on 15610 kHz on January 9th, from the sign on at 0700 to 0715 UTC in French. SIO rating was 252. ID in English was given at 0700, followed by preach in French. Vatican Radio was heard on 17525 kHz on January 5th from 0825 to 0900 UTC in English. SIO rating was 453, then down to 353. The funeral of Pope Benedict XVI, requiem performance, and condolence messages were aired. Radio Ndalason International via Ascension was heard on 12050 kHz on January 9th from 0703 to 0730 UTC in Kanuri. SIO rating was 343. Discussion by two women was on the air. ID and the jingle were given at 0728. KNLS from Anchor Point, Alaska, USA was heard on 6110 kHz on January 7th. From the sign on at 1400 to the sign off at 1459 UTC in English. SIO rating was 453. Talk program and hymn were broadcast. ID was given at 1400. Finally, Japan Shortwave Club will issue the QSL cards for the correct reports on our segment of the WebScan program. We are issuing QSL card by email to the report sent by email. Our address for your email report is jswcqsl at live.jp. I repeat, jswcqsl at live.jp. Starting January, we are issuing a new verification card for the year 2023. We continue to issue the printed QSL card by the same system as before. Your report should be addressed to JSWC, P.O. Box 44, Kamakura, which is K A M A K U R A, postal code 248-8691, Japan. One ILC or two U.S. dollars for return postage will be appreciated. For this edition of DX Report, we'd like to thank Mr. Yoshiaki Hayashi, Mr. Iwao Nagatani, Mr. Chiaki Shimada, and Mr. Kazuaki Oika for sharing the information with us. Thank you for listening and please join us for our next edition of DX Report of Japan Shortwave Club. I'm Yukiko Tsuji in Tokyo. Thank you, Yukiko. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. 
Next week, one American shortwave station, two locations, three transmitters, and six call signs. Also, our Philippine DX report. WaveScan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, KVOH in Los Angeles, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone.